and welcome back to TransUnion's FinTech podcast series. I'm Lisa Maynell, an account director in the FinTech team here at TransUnion UK. As an information solutions business, we help organizations across a spectrum of sectors to extract value from our data and software solutions to enable trust between businesses and consumers. Examples of this might be helping lenders to understand an individual's credit worthiness or affordability when credit is being applied for, enabling responsible lending. Another example might be our consumer-facing solutions, which enable consumers or our customers' customers to see the data on their credit report. That's the data that's being used during those credit applications, which provides transparency and consumer empowerment. We call this information for good. The aim of our podcast is to help our listeners better understand the ever-changing data and technology landscape. With me today are two new voices for this series, Dai Duan from KPMG, our first guest from outside of TransUnion, and Gareth Howe from our data solutions team. Welcome both. Let's start with some introductions. Dai, could you introduce yourself and outline your role at KPMG, please? Thanks for having me on, Lisa. I'm Dai Duong, a partner at KPMG. I lead a modeling analytics business in the UK and have a particular focus on financial services clients. In this space, I get to work across the full spectrum of clients, from the new fintechs just starting up all the way to the larger listed global banks, helping them become much more efficient and tech-enabled. Over the last few years, I've worked with many fintechs, helping them get off the ground, from supporting them with their business plans they've set up through to fundraising and getting regulatory approvals. For me, one of the most rewarding things is seeing them grow, going through the initial stage, launching of new products and taking market share. It's amazing to see how several of them have succeeded within a few short years, going from just an idea on paper to reaching unicorn status. It's truly an exciting space to work in. Thanks, Di. It's great to have you here. And Gareth? Thanks, Lisa. I'm Gareth Howell. I look after our data solutions team here at TransUnion. I joined about six, seven months ago. What does that entail? Well, it means I look after new and existing data sources coming into the organization, which involves a lot of proof of concepting work to ensure that we are leveraging those data sources in the right way. It also means I'm charged with setting the future data strategy of the business. My own background before I came here is in credit and data and decision science, and I've worked with many major banks and finance companies along the way. That's great. Thank you, Gareth. So it's clear that you both have a wealth of experience and knowledge to share. So let's get started. Today's podcast is going to focus on startups in the UK. And looking at the numbers, it's immediately obvious that this is a huge topic. The startup scene is massive and full of nuance. Companies House data published in June 2020 shows that there are over 650,000 company incorporations throughout 2019, but also churn with 500,000 dissolutions in the same period. Our conversation today is going to focus specifically on tech startups, covering those going through initial funding rounds to organisations looking to evolve their data strategy as they grow and navigate the challenges of a maturing business. According to TechNation.io, UK tech investment is the third largest in the world, hitting a record of $15 billion in 2020, and the UK tech startup and scale ecosystem being valued at a whopping $585 billion. These tech pioneers are challenging the status quo and creating the future. Dai, it would be good to understand how KPMG are working with these startups and to hear some of the key trends that you've seen in the startup scene from an innovation perspective. In KPMG, we have a dedicated private enterprise team focused on startups and helping them grow. As part of this, we have a sub-team focused specifically on fintechs. For these clients, we help at each stage of their journey. At the early stage, we help with business plans, 
set up and fundraisings. And at a scaling up stage, will help ensure that the technology, people and processes are in place for rapid growth. By having a strong understanding of these businesses at an early stage, this enables us to support them at a later stage, whether this be expansions, M&A or even IPOs. Now, if I think about trends, the first thing that comes to mind is the huge amount of money going into startups. This year, we've seen significant growth in investments in the UK and in particular, London. In fact, as Lisa mentioned, UK is now third, just behind US and China when it comes to investments in startups. And it's interesting to see that the investments are coming from a much wider funding source. In addition to the traditional funding from VCs, more money is coming from hedge funds, traditional investors, foreign investors participating in UK fundraisings. As a result, this is driving up valuations across the whole market and in particular, fintechs. Within fintechs, it's interesting to now see a much greater focus on B2B services. Given the number of financial institutions looking to improve their legacy systems, we expect to see continuous significant funding growth in this space. Thanks, Di. It's interesting to hear about the different funding available to startups and how you guys are supporting. Gareth, can you explain how TransUnion works with UK tech startups? and how we can help them to understand the market from both a data and consultancy perspective. Thanks, Lisa. Of course, TransUnion enjoys a respected position in its marketplaces, both domestically and internationally, and that as a real trusted custodian of data, both in the traditional credit sense, as well as the alternative and emergent markets. We're constantly looking to develop and evolve this, and have recently built a refreshed data strategy, which I was very pleased to be a part of, to underpin our method of delivery. This means when we approach clients in all sectors, we're able to maintain an informed and authentic view of our marketplaces. And our success as a consultancy practice really follows from there. One of the most prominent recent examples of this is some of the excellent work that we've been doing in the buy now, pay later front. We've partnered with some of the, the larger and more emergent industry players to deliver insights that are now helping to shape the future of that industry how credit reporting will work, and indeed how the regulatory framework will work. That approach is applicable to an emergent fintech startup, to a larger financial institution as well, and possibly in wider society. I mean, after all, innovation, transparency, and customer data benefit us all. Thanks, Gareth. The Buy Now, Pay Later space has seen rapid growth over the last two years. The pandemic has also accelerated adoption and growth in home delivery space. From the next day delivery services of Amazon Prime, increased demand for supermarket deliveries and restaurant services such as elite bistros and dispatch, we can see that the ability to adapt is key. Of course, diversified payment options and the solidification of a digitalized customer journey have become key elements for many brands. It's clear that innovation has been a core factor for businesses during the COVID-19 era. It would be great if you could share some personal anecdotes. Are there any digital first products or services that have really stood out for you over the past 18 months? Di, can you share yours? Lisa, I agree with you. It's really interesting to see the rise in startups focus on home delivery. Initially, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw an increase in home deliveries from the traditional supermarkets, alongside the specialists such as Delivery Oddbox and HelloFresh. However, more recently, we've seen a huge focus on the ultra-fast grocery delivery services such as Gatir, Gorilla and Zap. They are rapidly gaining market share and in particular with the Gen Z customers. Many of these businesses are just getting started, 
and the business models yet to prove that they can be truly profitable. For this to happen, these businesses need to grow the customer base along with getting them to order more frequent and larger orders, irrespective of discounts and freebies. This hasn't stopped the VCs investing large amounts into them, with Gorilla now valued at $3 billion and Gitter at $7.5 billion. I've also been particularly impressed with the relentless growth of digital banks and their potential. For example, in the UK, we see Revolut, Monzo and Starling expanding their services and growing rapidly. Within the last couple of years, Revolut has added share trading, cryptocurrency and business bank accounts to their growing product stack. These additional services have resulted in rapid growth of their user base to almost 15 million globally. As a result of this growth, the funding rounds and valuations are getting much bigger. For Revolut, their last funding round was valued at an eye-watering 33 billion US dollars. This puts the valuation amongst our top four UK banks in just seven years since inception. And if we look across the Atlantic, this trend is repeated. New Bank, a digital bank based in Brazil, just listed on the stock exchange with a huge valuation of 41 billion. This makes it the highest valued bank in Brazil and it's just eight years old. This example stood out for me because the market can recognize the future potential of these businesses, although their revenues are still relatively small and in many cases are still loss making. Thanks, Di. Some really good examples there. We've also seen strong growth in the app only bank space. I guess as lockdown has forced the world online, consumer demand for a quick and easy online service has led to increased automation. Gone are the days of paper proofs. It's been amazing to see our clients accelerate their plans and huge projects being delivered in such a short time frame. It sounds like all of this is helping to push those valuations up. Gareth, what have been the standout services for you? Well, as a runner myself, the growth in applications and equipment which promotes home and self-based exercise over the last 18 months has certainly been very impressive. And actually, I've been told to stay at home and closing gyms, etc. It's going to be a large part of that. But it's the innovation through data, data science, and ever more impressive quality of the equipment that's really impressed me. Did I recently saw one innovative approach underpinned by machine learning and the connected medical science to that, which claimed that it could help with weight loss and fitness through mere eight minutes of exercise a day. I mean, if that's true, that would be incredible. Um, where can insights into bio and data tech areas take us next? I mean, who knows? Exciting times. Beyond that, we've had several impressive advancements in the fintech and paytech sector that Dai has already impressively spoken about. The reason these apps are succeeding is that the innovative approaches are actually redefining what it means to be on that customer journey. And in a time of increased volatility and uncertainty in all marketplaces, that really is particularly impressive. Thanks, Gareth. COVID has driven an explosion in health tech. It's interesting to hear that there are data models out there telling us that eight minutes of exercise a day is all we need to lose weight. It sounds like a perfect response to some of the challenges that we face during lockdown. Let's use that as a theme for our next question. What trends have you been seeing in the tech startup space? And has anything shifted from pre-COVID-19? Di, what are KPMG seeing? Like with the many established businesses, with the impact of COVID, everyone needed to move to remote working. Within KPMG, subject to the government guidelines, we've been moving to a hybrid working model with two days a week in the office and three days from home. For some startups, they've taken this even further, either giving up their offices altogether or moving to a work-from-anywhere model. 
It's interesting to see Atom Bank recently moved to a four-day work week. I'm keen to see how this goes and whether it will catch on. To enable this new world of flexible working, it's important for both startups and established businesses to have the right technology and security to accommodate this changing environment. This goes beyond just access to Zoom and Teams, but also having coherent cloud-led data strategy for everyone to work remotely and effectively. As a result of this trend, this has accelerated the already growing demands for Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud. That's a good point. Changing working practice has been huge. With Asim's four-day working week and Revolut's digital nomad program, flexible working is a key differentiator to attracting top talent now. I'd like to explore that more with you. But first, Gareth, what trends have you been seeing when working with tech startups? Well, I mentioned exercise tech earlier, and that's certainly a big trend, although where that goes in a post-lockdown era remains to be seen, really. And that's a unique challenge for those businesses. Connected to my day job more directly, something I've already mentioned is BNPL, or Buy Now, Pay Later. Home shopping has been a feature of our lives. So has Buy Now, Pay Later. That's been around for a very long time. But where the sector has really succeeded is in designing those elegant customer journeys and using innovation and data science to optimize those. Of course, the regulatory environment for these businesses has been somewhat different compared to other forms of finance. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the role of organizations such as the FCA coming in more so into the lives of these businesses over the course of 2022 and beyond, how that affects the evolution of those companies. One thing is absolutely certain, though, innovation in the finance sector is absolutely here to stay. That, no doubt, is going to be a good thing for the customer. It's going to drive forward positive outcomes, price, choice, and everything related to that. Thanks, Gareth. That's good to hear, and I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how the buy now, pay later sector respond to regulation and how their data strategies might evolve. Talking about data strategies, Gareth, can you outline the role of data solutions for startups and what you think the essential components of an effective data strategy are, please? Thanks, Lisa. Absolutely. The problem you'll always have when setting a data strategy, especially as a new business, and potentially also as a development of a new strategy into an existing one, is that there's so much out there. We live in an era in technology, regulation, sources of data are evolving more rapidly than at any time in memory. That's both exciting and indeed scary in equal measure. So it's important not to get hung up chasing the newest, most exciting thing because you have a hunch that it may help your business. You'll have to research, investigate, analyze, and ensure that what you're buying really is what it says it is, and it's impactful. And that's going to be true for the efficacy and impact it has on your end product as well. So in that regard, I'm a big fan of setting out a strategy that focuses first on your core need, that is to understand which data powers your main service, and optimize that and grow it if you need that's really what gives you effectively the license to push into the value add and even the more alternative data spheres. And these alternative areas, you should then prioritize according to the more immediate business needs. It's important as well to have an exec or an investor who is really bought into your way of working. That's critical. After all, you're going to need that license to explore and the capital to invest in the data science talent and indeed systems that will enable you to test and prove the information or provider you're looking to partner with is worth that effort. Thanks, Gareth. And Di, from a consultancy service perspective, 
How important is a well-researched and developed data strategy for a tech startup? I completely agree with Gareth. The main focus should be on the core needs of the business. Getting the fundamentals right gives the business permission to do more aspirational things. When looking at data strategy, startups need to consider all aspects, the infrastructure, architecture, security, people and customer experience. This includes answering questions like, will my current technology stack scale my vision? Which processes should I automate? And crucially, is it secure? Probably, the other thing to have front of mind is that startups have a faster delivery timescale for new products and features. This is because they don't have the complex legacy infrastructure and processes large businesses have. Here, startups can take advantage of this. Being more nimble with data and technology, they can combine this with customer feedback to evolve their products faster to meet market demands. Thanks, Di. So it sounds like there's a lot for startups to consider then, from initial product ideas, infrastructure, design, build, and how they're going to take it all to the next level. Going back to a point that you both made earlier, one thing I'd love to ask you about is people. What data and analytical skills should startups be investing in and how can it give them the edge? Gareth, as you've recently joined TransUnion, it'd be great to get your perspective on this. Thanks, Lisa. Well, I suspect Di and I will be very closely aligned on this one. There are myriad skill sets out there. Choosing what you need is often a function of where you are on your data journey. Clearly, having strong architects and developers is really important. Then you'll also need the R&D and model building skills from the quantum of data scientists out there in the workforce. Data visualization and reporting are also so, so important. Without these, you can't really measure the success that you're having on that journey. These skills are highly sought after now more than ever. So whether you're an ascent or a well-established employer, it's key that you hire strategically in parallel with your own data strategy in many ways. You'll also need to show a clear direction of travel in the interview process to ensure the employees are bought in to what you're trying to achieve. Of course, these skills are nothing unless you're prepared to invest emotional and organizational capital in a culture which gives role holders the comfort that they can both fail and learn fast. Availability of training and skills renewal is also really, really important. I mean, these aspects really are the true levers of innovative growth through data and analytics. Long gone are the days of hire me and just tell me what to do. One pitfall to avoid if you can not easy given the likely financial constraints that you'll be under, is to pigeonhole role holders into doing data work that is outside of what they believe is their core skill set over the longer term. That can quickly lead to disillusionment and the feeling that the employee is not trusted to undertake what they believe to be their core role within the organization. Examples could be modelers being asked to produce BAU MI, developers building reports, and so on and so forth. Thanks, Gareth. I see what you're saying there. When I work with startups, I often see a small group of people wearing many different hats, all learning disciplines outside of the core skill set. And that's one of the fun and exciting things about working with a startup. It's all very hands-on. It's only as startups begin to scale that clearly defined specialised roles really come into focus. Dai, could you share your thoughts on people and the skill sets required when a business is starting out? As Gareth mentioned, there's a myriad of data analytics skills that's required. At a high level, for business strategy and intelligence, you will need modeling and analytics capabilities. 
Having the skills will help the business set the right strategy, identify underlying trends, spot niche opportunities, and react quickly to gain market advantage. At an operational level, to be effective, you'll need good data architects, developers, and data scientists. These skills are difficult to recruit in the market and even harder to retain. We see the large tech firms actively recruiting at a much higher pay scale. So it's even more important for startups to create a culture that nurtures and retains their top talents. Thanks, Di. It's interesting to hear you describe some of the key skill sets required at the beginning of a tech startup journey and the need to nurture and retain that talent. Like you mentioned before, let's watch this space on how these organisations compete to attract and retain talent. So I have to say, it's been great having you both on the podcast. I've learned a few new things, and I'm sure our listeners have too. But before we say goodbye, could I get one key takeaway from each of you? Di? That's a tough one to pick, Lisa. Personally, I think the ability to leverage data will be critical for all businesses in the coming years. Data is king. For startups, as they're lean and nimble, they can be more data-driven to develop their products, strategy, and operations. However, for large established players, whilst they have lots of data, they often struggle to get real value from it. This is where I think more and more large established players will work with a collection of startups in order to become much more efficient, data-driven, and tech-enabled. It's effectively a win-win situation for both sides. Brilliant. Thanks, Diane Gareth. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, And thank you, Diane, as well. For me, the success of any organization and its strategy lies in its culture at its core. When it comes to innovation, culture of emotional and monetary investment is really important while also ensuring you get a clear direction on your strategy, acquisition plan, and so on and so forth. This is really important whether you're a new tech startup or a multinational. More so is managing that process of transitioning from one to the other as you grow. I note how some of the startups I've certainly worked with over the last five to 10 years have shown prodigious growth in that time. So maintaining the essence of the culture that helped get them there is of arguably pivotal importance. So I guess my main takeaway would be that from today. Thanks, Gareth. Thank you both for some of the insights that you shared on today's show. We appreciate your time and thank our listeners for tuning in. We'll be back soon with further episodes. This podcast was produced by TransUnion, a global insights and analytics company. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of TransUnion, and TransUnion is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. Thank you.